Welcome to the seventh episode of MacBytes. I'm Mike Thomas. And I'm Elaine Giles. And in this episode, we'll be focusing on text editors. But first, a few things that we've noticed from using our Macs this week. One of the uh, things that I've been trying to do is I've been trying to share my calendars. And you wouldn't have thought it would be so difficult, actually. But uh, I've got a .Mac account. And you can easily publish your calendars to your .Mac account. And if you do that, uh, by default, those calendars are public. So it means that anybody can see your calendar and uh, anybody can subscribe to it. Now, that's, that's not what I actually wanted. What I wanted to be able to do was to look at my calendar when I was out on the road, particularly when I was, I was at work. And although I use a PC, um, the calendar does have um, uh, its own web page, so I'd be able to go to a, a URL to, to look at that. But I wanted to password protect it so that I was the only one who could see it. And ultimately, I would want to be able to edit it um, away from my Mac. So I've been looking at a number of different systems, and uh, one of those is something called iCal Exchange, and we'll put the URL on the um, the show notes. And that allows you to publish calendars, and it allows those calendars to be password protected. And that's actually a free service. They also offer for a dollar a month a premium service which allows you to have multiple passwords. So if you wanted other people to look at your calendar, say friends and family, or even colleagues to try and arrange a meeting, then you can set up multiple passwords. Taken a little bit further, or taking another scenario, there's another system called BusySync, which is uh, available at busymac.com. And this allows multiple users to share and edit calendars on a local area network, which is something that Elaine and I would find very useful. And uh, changes that are made by one user are instantly synchronized uh, for all the other uh, users on the network. You do have optional passwords for reading and writing as well. Now, getting a little bit more ambitious, what I really want to try and do is to synchronise my Outlook calendar at work with my iCal calendar at home. And I think to do this, I'd have to use the Google calendar as a kind of go-between. And I've got partway through, partway through the process, I can um, link my Outlook calendar to Google, albeit a manual job. And I believe there's a way of linking Google to iCal. I have not tried yet that yet. But uh, if anybody out there has uh, got any advice for me, any, anyone done it, then uh, please let me know. Well, I've heard of an application called G-Sync, which I believe synchronises iCal with Google uh, Google calendars. Not quite sure if it's bi-directional or how it works. Um, and I've heard sort of good things about it and then bad things about it. So it's probably a case of backing everything up first and then having a go with it. Have you tried that one? I haven't, no. Um... I will give that one a go, yeah. I will look more into that. Thank you for that. You see, there I go, tempting you with software again. Mm, definitely. And I, I believe you've got some uh, other information about calendars that's come out recently. Yes, on the Apple Developer Connection, they have released a calendar store appy. So um, developers of applications that want that need to write your calendar to create appointments or to do's or read from your calendar and um, now have a, an application interface to do that with so um ever hopeful i'm hoping that somebody will be able to put something together which will bring back all together now my info panel 
Mm. So I live in hope. Uh, all the information for that is on the Apple Developer Connection, which we'll put in the show notes. And talking of bringing things back, what's the big news for you this week? Well, it's got to be what is now known as a web snapper. Web snapper. Web snapper, yes. And the big news with web snapper, well, first of all, I'll give a quick overview. Uh, those unfortunate enough not to have heard our previous shows and heard me ranting on wonderfully about Red Snapper. Red Snapper was um, an input manager for Safari, which vanished when Leopard was launched, unfortunately. Its sole function was it put a button on the toolbar, which enabled you to save an entire web page as a PDF or another graphic format. And the, what distinguished it was, it overrode the print engine and any CSS that was applied. So I, do, I wanted an exact copy of a web page, and uh, this was a fantastic way to do it. I got an exact replica of the page, no page breaks, it was fantastic. It was particularly good when you'd bought something and you wanted to snap a copy of the receipt. Previously, when I'd printed out receipts, sometimes, depending on the CSS, I'd actually got the serial number in white text on a white background, which was fantastic. So with WebSnapper, as long as I can see it, I can have a copy of it. So it was brilliant. Well, it's back. Uh, it's now called WebSnapper in beta. But, and we talked about this before, I said it was back and it was in beta, but without the button. Well, now the button is back. The button, the is, button back. is back, folks. Yeah, it's even better, actually. It's a nicer button. But uh, the button is back. It's still in beta. It's now beta 2.1. Uh, it still has the feature that I talked about previously where you can drag the URL to a window um, and, and save a file that way. But now it's got additional features as well. So the button's back. You've still got this window interface so you can still create multiple page PDFs. But that's optional. You can still create single ones, which is the way I preferred to do it. But on thinking about this uh, feature with the window, um, it now means that it's cross-browser. So if you happen to have, on the odd occasion I've had to use Firefox to buy something, it just doesn't agree with Safari or to do a particular job. And that I've sat there in Firefox thinking, uh-oh, I now need a web snapper and I can't get to it. Um, but not a problem now. With this interface, you can drag and drop the URL onto it uh, from any browser and it works brilliantly. Um, it, the WebSnapper application is available from tastyapps.com. So we'll put again, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, and it's only $8. So um, can't go wrong with that, I don't think. Uh, so take a look at that while it's in beta. There's a trial version there as well. And uh, what else have you been looking at this week? I've been looking at uh, the Swift and FLV player from ltima.com which is a free application, although there is a pro version uh, at $20. And it's the only standalone application for the Mac that can, pay, that can play back Swifts and FLV files, um, Flash video files and Flash movie files. It's got some great features. Uh, you can actually go to a, a URL and it will give you a list of all of the uh, Swift and FLV files that are on that site. And you've got a little preview because sometimes you get maybe four or five uh, flash movies on that site a lot of them are, are adverts so you can actually preview the ones that are on there and save out the ones that you want to keep 
because as you may know it's it's very difficult to actually save uh, in fact impossible with, without something like this to actually save a flash movie you can't just right click on it and say save as like you can with a, a static image and it's also great for things like YouTube uh, because uh, all of those movies, although they they might start life as, as MOVs or AVIs, for example, they're actually converted by uh, YouTube into uh, Flash movies. Well, that sounds really cool. Um, I use TubeSock for uh, YouTube. That's something I've used as well. And uh, yes, that, that is actually aimed specifically at um, YouTube because what you can do is you can just copy and paste the reference to the embedded object into TubeSock. But this takes it onto a wider scale because this allows you to uh, do it for any website. And it's also got on the Pro version the ability to play it back full screen, which is great. Sounds fantastic. I shall have a look at it. And uh, I think you've got some uh, other things as well to, to talk about. Yes, I noticed this week that Flickr are now offering photo editing uh, on their site. So uh, hosted editing of your photos. I shan't be throwing Photoshop away anytime soon, but uh, a nice addition, especially if you're out on the road and you've just got a quick change to make. Uh, another thing is uh, it's been announced that Steve Jobs is doing the keynote at Macworld on January the 15th. So uh, hopefully if uh, Steve Jobs is going to be there, he'll be announcing something nice. Uh, Rumours abound that it'll be um, a sub-notebook, so an ultra-portable, which uh, would appeal to me. I've got um, a laptop, but it's a 17-inch one, so I don't tend to whip it out in every cafe and uh, get, have a quick surf. It's a little bit big and a little bit heavy for that. Um, I would be most interested in that. Other things that uh, people have talked about are new Mac Pros, which would be very, very nice. Obviously, if it's a new product, I'm interested in it. But uh, the sub-notebook for me, I think, would appeal even a little bit more than that. And of course, some people can't wait for January, can they? No, I certainly can't. Uh, hot on the heels of iPhone, 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 it's now MacBook, MacBook, MacBook. Oh, God. Yes, I've actually gone and ordered myself a Core 2 Duo MacBook. White MacBook with 2 gig of RAM and 160 gig hard drive. And I'd just love to know where it is. What do you mean, where it is? Well, it's somewhere between Shanghai and here, I would guess, because I don't actually have a tracking order. Oh, why not? Because Apple haven't provided me with one. And uh, I know that uh, when you ordered yours, you got a tracking number and you, you could track it um, from start to finish. Yeah, mine was a built-to-order 24-inch iMac, and um, I didn't get the tracking number straight away. But uh, as soon as it was built, I think it took about three days, uh, as soon as it was ready to go, and they were obviously dispatching it, they uh, mailed me a tracking number. No, I've had nothing at all. So all I've got is information that says the shipment is on time. Oh, well, the good news is there's a site that if you've got an order number, um, you can put your order number in there. It's not an Apple site. Um, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes. And you can put your order number in and... Um, it should be able to tell you where it is. Now, I'm not sure how on earth that works if it's not an Apple site. Um, have you tried that one? I haven't, no. Anything's worth a try. It is, yeah. At least it'll give me some peace of mind knowing where it is. Oh, well, hopefully it'll be with you before very long. Yeah, OK. And now it's time for Switch's Corner, and today we're looking at text editors. From the most basic, Notepad, through to BB Edit, which is a fully featured programmable application. So Elaine, do you have a need for using a text editor? 
I certainly do, uh, going way back to when I very first started working with Windows I did. Um, at the time I had fairly basic needs so uh, I used Notepad but uh, a text editor is something that I use on a daily basis. I've actually had sort of quite a strange response when, when I talk about using a text editor and needing a text editor, using it every day, sort of people look at me strangely and uh, I've even said at times, why don't you just use Microsoft Word? Well, to me, Microsoft Word is not a text editor, it's a word processor, totally different beast. And um, a text editor I use for um, obviously editing small text files. I also use it extensively for HTML web pages, uh, um, ASP pages. I also program in PHP and XML, so a text editor is incredibly important to me. Um, as I say, I started with Notepad, which is pretty much paint for wordsmiths, isn't it? Excuse me, do you mind? I still have to use that on a daily basis. No! I do. Oh dear. It's got too many limits to even consider seriously. How do you cope? With difficulty, but uh, it's forced upon me. It's there, it's free in Windows, and uh, they don't give me anything better. Well, of course there is. WordPad. Are you not tempted with WordPad? The thing with WordPad is... Um, it's more of an RTF editor, so sometimes it's, it gets its knickers in a twist where I just want plain text for developing HTML pages or um, ASP um, web pages, that kind of thing. Uh, and even WordPad doesn't have much in the way of the, the sort of features I'd be looking for. I've always found it pretty strange that when Notepad can't open a file because it's too big, it forces you to use WordPad because, like you say, it isn't really a text editor. It is for RTF. You can export the thing as text, but you've got to remember to make sure that you export it in the right way. I don't know why they don't just merge the two of those or, or at least let Notepad edit larger files. I do find WordPad a little bit strange. That, that would be ideal, yeah. And um, WordPad, I've found, often will open uh, Word documents if you haven't got Word on your machine. Uh, but you'll have WordPad because it's uh, it comes with Windows. Yeah, I've seen some strange things with that. It will open Word files, let you view them. Um, but depending on the actual version of the original file, if you try editing it, you can cause complete havoc. So it is there for viewing, but um, they haven't really kept it up to date, have they? They haven't, no. I don't think they've made any changes for years. So, what's your favourite? Um, when I started looking around for a, a text editor um, that was a little bit better than Notepad, I had a sort of list of key features. I really wanted to have multiple documents open without having separate windows. Um, line numbers would have been good. So I started looking around and I found a really good one called EditPad, um, written by, it turned out to be, a student who was still at college. And it was a free application. Um, it was known as Postcardware. So you were encouraged to send a postcard to the developer. And I think I started using that on Windows 311. And it was a joy to use. It was fast. It had a lot of features that Notepad didn't have. And um, I used that for quite a while. I then moved on to, um, I found a different one called NoteTab Pro, which um, is still out there. We'll put the address on the show notes. And uh, that was really powerful. Um, it had 
fantastic search and replace features. It had all the usual things that I needed, which were things like line numbers, opening multiple files. It was very, very powerful. Had its own programming language as well, where you could write clippings, which were um, not the same thing as people may have heard of in BB Edit. It's actually a language, and you could actually use these clippings, I and mean, you could use them for simple things like boilerplate text, but you could also have a dialog box come up where you could make selections and uh, choose what you actually wanted, and then that would put that edited text into the document. So it was very, very powerful. Um, I think you used that one, didn't you? I did. Uh, the the particular main use I had for Notepad Pro, because I, I used EditPad Pro, which you're going to go and talk about it in a minute, uh, but uh, with Notepad Pro, one of the main features that I liked was the ability to do a find and replace across a whole load of, of files and subfolders, even if those folders were closed, which was very handy if you were updating an entire website. Yeah, I used that feature, and I also used, um, within the find and replace dialog, um, it actually supported regex expressions. So um, you could make the find and replace very complicated. thing with it was it used um, a different dialect of regex than I was used to. Um, and the other problem was there is a light version, a standard version, a professional version, and it's the professional one that I used that had these advanced features, which I needed. But the knock-on effect of that was you could only use proportional fonts, which I found pretty difficult to work with on an all-day basis. And um, the colour coding was, was a bit lacking. Uh, it was there but at a very basic level. And there was a long, long wait for a new version. So as I started getting frustrated um, with th those limitations, I looked around again and I came across um, the replacement for EditPad, which was EditPad Pro. Oh, and that was like going home. It was fantastic. It had uh, all the features I needed, features that m helped me work faster with, with text files. Um, but it also came with other applications that were sort of assisted you with your text editing. So EditPad Pro shipped with um, a sort of clipping section, again boilerplate text, so instead of having to type things in in HTML like your, your P tags and your heading tags, you could have them available from a list on the left side of the screen and you could just double click and it would put that in the text file for you. Uh, the thing that made it even better was from the same company, uh, J Just Great Software, JGS, um, came an application that took that to another level, which is called Ace Text, and that let you have uh, different groups of these um, expanding boilerplate text items. Uh, Ace Text also lets you use the same boilerplate text in other applications, and I found that uh, Ace Text and EditPad Pro just worked perfectly together, and um, I spent many happy an hour uh, creating these reusable text blocks and uh, even longer actually using them. Uh, when you talked about find and replace as well in Notepad Pro, it was amazingly fast and very, very powerful. Um, EditPad Pro has very good search and replace as well, but to make it even better, um, the same company again have another application called PowerGrep. And PowerGrep lets you write regex expressions to search across folders and folders full of text files. It's incredibly quick. Um, and it's powerful in that 
you can preview the changes it's going to make before it actually makes them. So to be absolutely certain that you're doing the right thing. And I've used that on websites where I've got a couple of thousand pages and somebody's hand-coded the dates in at the bottom on the copyright line. And uh, you, you can write regex to go in and actually change these files. So that was good. If you're not too great with regex, you need a bit of help, then the fourth application is regex buddy, which actually helps you write the regex in a sort of drag and drop, drop environment which is brilliant absolutely brilliant so um, when I started using EditPad Pro I, I bought the other applications as well and I had a whole little development environment going on uh, the other benefit of EditPad Pro for me was that I could put it on a pen drive and take it with me when I go to client sites so unlike normally in Windows where you install an application and half of it's in the registry and all your, your preference settings and your serial number would have to go with you, uh, you can actually make EditPad Pro portable and run it off a pen drive. And there's another version that has U3 support. So it's brilliant for me to actually put that on a pen drive and just take it with me and know that I'll be able to edit edit text files as quickly on a client site as I can on my own machine. And uh, that was one of the problems for me. When I bought my Mac, um, as listeners might remember, I bought a Mac because I saw Adobe Lightroom when it was in beta and I wanted to try it on my photographs. I actually didn't have any intention of switching to a Mac, but as our listeners no doubt know, it sort of pulls you in and that was that. And EditPad Pro and, and editing text files was one of the potential showstoppers for me. If I couldn't have found something that I could at least learn to be as quick with as I was with EditPad Pro then I would probably have stayed on Windows and I know at the very beginning when I had the machines sort of sat next to each other if I had to do a job very quickly in terms of editing text I'd go back to the Windows machine I was just faster with it um, but of course those days are long gone so what do you uh, you use on a Mac? What do I use on a Mac? I use a number of uh, different uh, text editors. At a very basic level, you've got TextEdit, which is built into the Mac, which, uh, well, built into the operating system rather than built into the Mac. But uh, if you compare that to the one that's built into Windows, um, there's no contest. Um, because it, it has uh, styles, it has alignment, it has the ability to, to change fonts, although uh, the later version of, um, of Notepad does that. But it is a text editor and a little bit more. Um, certainly where, for, for something that's, that's there for, for nothing built into the operating system, it's, uh, it's a nice piece of software. I remember having a text file on um, a Mac when I first started and uh, thinking, oh, I wonder what's going to open when I double-click this. And now uh, when I looked at TextEdit, I thought, oh, this isn't bad. Obviously, it doesn't have sort of all the features I need as a programmer, but uh, it, it wasn't bad at all. And it was certainly a big uh, upgrade to uh, Notepad, which was sort of what I was expecting, the Mac version of, of Notepad. So I agree with you there. Something else that I also use is uh, Pathfinder, which is a, an alternative finder. And that actually comes with its own very, very basic built-in text editor. So if you double click on a text file in Pathfinder, it, it opens this, uh, this tool up, which is uh, a lot less functional than the, the text edit application that's built in. Uh, but nevertheless, it does have a nice little toolbar to it. I've seen the toolbar on that and I absolutely love it. It uh, shows you that that isn't really missing from TextEdit. I love that toolbar. It makes uh, working with it a lot quicker. However, my main text editor of use is Text Wrangler, which is free. 
and it's a high performance text editor so it's a lot lot better than uh, than anything uh, that we've just mentioned um, it can do regular expression grep search and replace it can do multi-file search and replace it can do syntax coloring it can even um, open and save text files located on remote servers uh, using a, an FTP command. It also has the ability to uh, work with Apple Script, so it is completely programmable. It's from a company called Barebones Software. And it also uses some uh, functionality called text factories. Uh, you can actually use text factories that have been created elsewhere. And Elaine's going to talk a little bit more in depth about text factories in a few minutes. Um, but you can't create or modify existing text factories. So it really, really is a very, very powerful um, piece of software. You can have more than one file open as well. So uh, it's something I use. It's something I, I love. Yeah. Yeah, I um, had heard about Text Wrangler, um, but I didn't actually go with it. Uh, I've only had a, a very brief look at it. I assume it's got stuff like uh, the line numbers that we were discussing and things. I think it has, yes, which is something that you, you need to have when you're doing things like uh, programming and, and coding, because very often you'll get, uh, when, you, when you load your page into a browser for testing, uh, I'm talking about web programming here, you'll get a message that says, uh, you know, error on line 50. So you don't want to be counting down one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, as as you do in in some basic text editors. So you as do, you do at work, you mean? As I do at work, yeah. So you do need the ability to display line numbers. That was one of the problems I had with uh, NoteTab Pro. As powerful as it was, its line numbering was was a bit odd. Um, if I have a line wrapping, as far as I'm concerned, that line is still one line. Um, so what I want to see in my text editor is a one at the start of it. So imagine it's line one and it's wrapping around onto three lines. I don't want to see number two until I get down to what would be the actual physical fourth line because it's wrapping. And that note tab at the time, it may have changed now, I've not used it in a while, but um, it, it has some strange numbering going on. So if I was saying, oh, it's on line 17 and somebody else saying yeah but that's your line 17 and my line 17 is a different line 17 it just got very confusing um, the text editor i went for on the mac is bb edit and again maybe it's just me that i invite strange people to comment on my workflow uh, i must stop doing that um, i've had some strange reactions when people say well what text editor do you use and i say bb edit uh, and their reactions usually what do you need to pay for that for you when text wrangler's there well BB Edit is the big brother of Text Wrangler. It comes from the same company, Bare Bones. Um, but the features that it has that Text Wrangler doesn't are, well, they tend to be the features that make me work faster. They're the features that I need to work to my the best of my ability uh, and as fast as possible. Uh, and they're just not there in Text Wrangler. I do do a lot of HTML editing and one of the features that's in BB Edit is a whole range of HTML tools which aren't there in Text Wrangler. But uh, I'll take you through the features that um, I use frequently and they do help me work so amazingly quick. When I can't imagine having to sit there and work with Notepad. I shall take your word for that. Uh, there's, there's a feature called the glossary or clippings. It changed its name in the, the last version. And what that is, is uh, as we've talked about, these boilerplate text items. And you can have them displayed. I actually choose to have the clippings displayed all the time. 
You can also, um, with the clippings, have um, you can make a selection and use that selection in the clippings. So clippings are very, very powerful and used uh, not just for boilerplate text, but you can choose to... Uh, what I do with it is I have some HTML tags that are unique to me and maybe my own CSS styles and things like that, where I make a selection in BBEdit and then I double click on one of these clippings and it wraps the selection I made in the tags. So it saves me having to actually type the tag in or put the tag in first and then type between it. So um, I find the clippings incredibly powerful. The good thing with the clippings is as well, uh, in other applications I've seen that have a similar feature, you have a fantastic editor and then you make your clippings in a tiny little window with very few features. And in BBEdit you don't. You use BBEdit itself to make these clippings. And then you put all the clippings that you want together in a folder and they become a group of clippings that will open up in this window. So clippings, absolutely amazing. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think Text Wrangler supports that at all. It doesn't. It's a great shame. It, it would make sense that you could use them but not create them, but I suppose the problem is the way that you create them is so simple that they wouldn't be able to stop you creating them and using them. So maybe that's why. Now, the thing that you talked about, which is text factories, you can indeed make text factories in BBEdit and then use them in either BBEdit or Text Wrangler. A text factory is a collection of manipulations of the text. So one of the things I've created is when I get uh, data in from a client and they want it putting on a web page, it won't be marked up. It'll probably be in a Word document. And no, I'm not going to go down the route of saving out from Word as a HTML file because you know I'm not going to live that long to edit that. It will probably send out about 28 pages of oh hideous looking code. So what I'm more likely to do is just go into Word, copy, go into BB Edit, paste. And now what I'm going to get in there is things that don't translate well to the HTML. I'll go through the HTML and I'll mark it up as I want it marked up. But things like question marks, exclamation marks, odd characters, they don't translate well. You should really use ASCII code. So I have um, a series of find and replaces that will find a question mark and replace that with a code and find exclamation marks and replace that with a particular code. And I think there's about 17, 18 of them. Now, obviously, I could run a search and replace uh, 17 or 18 times. And that is what a text factory can do for you. So what I do is I apply the text factory to the file and it iterates through all those search and replaces for me. And I only have to initiate one command on it. And uh, I suppose the good thing is, uh, if you've got a team of developers and some of the like, more junior developers, if they're using Text Wrangler, then they can only use these text factories. They can't edit them. So that would be a good way to hand off virtually a finished command that then extends Text Wrangler in a way. So text factory is very, very powerful. Another feature that I absolutely love is file groups, which lets you group together a series of files. So uh, when I'm working with websites, I can choose to have a certain percentage of the files available in a file group. And whereas you think, well, you certainly wouldn't need the images, I actually do put the images in the file group as well. So a file group itself is a special kind of BBEdit file and it contains references to other files and folders. And they could be aliases, URLs, anything you like, like I've said, including graphics. You tend to use it as an organisational tool, but one of the things I've found is if I include my graphics in it, um, what I had in 
Notepad Pro was I could say insert an image and it gave me a dialog box. I could navigate to my image. It brought the image in and I it read in the height and the width and I could specify alt text for it. It was brilliant. And um, Editpad Pro didn't work quite like that. But what I found in BB Edit is if I use a file group and it's got a graphic in it, I can drag and drop the graphic from the file group onto a text file and it automatically puts up a dialog box and lets me specify all those kind of HTML things to do with it. The width, the height, the alt text, whether I have a border, all that sort of stuff. And all I've got to do is then click OK and it writes a whole line of HTML for me, which is syntactically correct. Um, it actually changes from... Um, it bases it on the doc type that you're editing as well. So if you're editing a HTML file, there won't be a, a closing slash. But if you're editing an XHTML file, there will be. So it's a highly intelligent, that, and I just love the way that you can drag and drop like that. I actually find now with the file groups, clippings, text factories, HTML tools, I'm probably faster editing in BB Edit than I am in Dreamweaver. And I think that's pretty good because I used Dreamweaver for about six years. Just a couple of other things that I find useful. You can have bookmarks in your um, text file so you can quickly navigate them. And you can have placeholders in there as well. And you can navigate very quickly between the placeholders. Another thing I love about BB Edit is the manual. It's got a really fantastic manual. I think it's about 300 and odd pages. So um, I just sit there reading that as well and finding new features to work with. So um, maybe you need to have a look at BB Edit for your HTML work. Yeah, uh, just one thing about the manual. Uh, the manual for BB Edit and the manual for Text Wrangler are virtually the same, which you'd think they would be from what we've just discussed. But they are even more the same because I think there's been some judicious copying and pasting and uh, and find and replace that's not quite right. So you will find references to uh, BB Edit when they actually mean Text Wrangler in the Text Wrangler manual. So just something to watch out for. Ah, oh, a bit of a gotcha there. It certainly is. Well, we can't uh, finish discussing text editors without discussing TextMate for the Mac, which uh, is a text editor that I own a copy of. I think I got it in a bundle last Christmas, these wonderful bundles that are about. And I did install it and have a quick look at it, but um, obviously I, I was honing my BB Edit skills and I didn't really spend long enough with it but I know it's got a fantastic user base and it's a lot cheaper than BB Edit and I believe it's very extensible as well using bundles. Uh, have you had a look at TextMate? I haven't, no. Um, yeah, maybe some of the listeners if you use TextMate you can let us know is it as extensible as we've heard it is. Um, I got as far as looking and you can create projects, that looked very powerful. It looked like file groups but with even more features. Um, but I found that the HTML stuff was a bundle and it was buried away on a menu. And uh, I like to have, you know, on my 24-inch screen, the whole screen is covered with panels and dialogues and stuff like that. So um, if you've got any useful tips for TextMate, do let us know. Um, I'd love to hear them. Maybe you can have a look at it and uh, see if there's any features that I really need. So uh, let us know. OK, have we had any uh, feedback this week? We have indeed. Um, Chris Dodds left a post on my blog and it was in response to something we talked about previously. When we were discussing uh, screen spanning, which um, with all our Macs being Intel Macs, um, we can do on all of our machines. Um, but we said that on, um, I think it was a G5 iMac we were talking about, that you can 
uh, mirror the screen, but you can't span the screen. Anyway, Chris Dodds has uh, mentioned something called Screen Spanning Doctor. So we'll put the URL on the show notes. It's a pretty long one and quite hideous. But uh, what it enables you to do is run dual monitors on PowerPC iMacs. So uh, that looks really, really useful. I'm sure a lot of people uh, would love to do that. So uh, we'll give that pride of place. Thank you very much for that, Chris. Yes, thank you for that, Chris. And of course, we're coming up to Christmas. And uh, what's everyone got on their Christmas list? I know what's on my Christmas list, but I'm not going to tell you because I'm going to wait and see if Santa brings it. If you don't tell us, Santa won't bring it. Ah. <laughs> you had some news about the iPhones, didn't you? Yes, Apple have confirmed that um, you're no longer limited to just two iPhones. You can actually buy five. So um, if there's anybody out there generous enough who'd like to buy me one, wonderful, you can now buy five. And me as well in that case. <laughs> and he still leaves them three to play with. Mm. We need a sugar daddy. <laughs> and talking about Santa, there's, um, there's, there's uh, another of these bundle offers from Max Santa. Uh, you, you've got confused there with Max Santa with all the other offers. Max Santa is, um, lets you have a certain range of products which changes every day in December at 20% off. So you're not, you don't have to buy a bundle. You can buy just one if you want. You can get 20% off. Everybody participating in Max Santa um, is also, if you miss it for a day, so if you find out um, the day after that there was something you wanted yesterday, you can get all the deals available throughout the month for 10% off. So you just keep an eye on it on a daily basis to get the maximum, which is 20% off. I think the bundle you're thinking of is Mac Update. That's right, which, yes. Um, is finishing very very shortly that is uh, it started off as seven products and um, at the time of recording had gone up to nine uh, and there's one more to be unlocked is that the one you're thinking of that is the one i'm thinking of yeah there's there's so many great bundles out there it's, it's difficult to keep up with them oh no i spend hours happily looking for them there's a new one coming as well in january uh, mac heist 2 I don't know if anybody participated in Mac Heist 1. I got the bundle from Mac Heist, but I didn't actually participate in any of the heists. But um, now I'm a registered user. It started a few days ago, and I successfully completed our first mission. So um, I've, got, I've got a few things in my loot stash in Mac Heist, and uh, their, their new bundle will be available in January, so one to look out for. And coming up over the next couple of weeks, just staying on the Christmas theme, we'll be looking next time at uh, Photo Magico and Photo Management. And then the week after, we'll be looking at uh, videos. So for all the things that people will be doing at Christmas, you mean? Exactly. Oh, sounds good. Also, before we wrap up, I'd just like to mention the next meeting of the Northwest Mac User Group, or NW Mug, on Thursday the 13th of December at the usual venue in Warrington. Uh, full details can be found at nwmug.co.uk. The um, talk this week is on the ITV, which sounds very interesting. Yeah, I've got an ITV and I absolutely love it. Couldn't live without it. Don't turn the TV on anymore. I've got an ITV as well and I think it's a, a great piece of kit. It uh, saves you having to have a 42-inch plasma where you can watch everything on your Mac whilst doing other things, typing up in your text editor or something like that. Exactly, another reason to have dual monitors. Mm. And now we can have dual monitors on PPC, iMacs, you're away. You certainly are. I don't know what I do with a 50-inch plasma, you know, because I'm used to now watching TV in a little six-inch window. 
And it, of course, for me, the ITV means I don't have to leave my Mac to watch the TV, so it's perfect. It certainly is. If anybody's got any comments or any questions on anything that we've talked about uh, in this episode, please feel free to uh, contact us. As usual, the address is uh, macbytesuk at gmail.com. Uh, or you can uh, contact us through the website at macbytes.co.uk. So, from both of us, for this episode, it's goodbye. Goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs>